Now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lip. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. USA. USA. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a great campaign rally that last night. That was a really good oh, one. Man. Yeah. Maybe his best ever. Yes. Yep. Oh, so good. So eloquent. <laughs> So many angry people. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Anyways, welcome back, guys. Barstool Politics. I am your host, Nick McGuire, joined as always by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi, guys. Hey, Nick. How's it How going? It's going good. Yeah. Everybody's good. It's Wednesday. Podcast day. Podcast day. Yeah. yeah. I got a beer in hand. The week's half over. What more could you ask? <laughs> it's hump day, right? It's hump day. <laughs> Uh, before we get started, uh, if you are new to the podcast, um, have questions, comments, uh, beer suggestions, anything like that, uh, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul P O L, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Beers that we try, you can find on Untapped that you can download on iOS or Android. Uh, we are Barstool Politics on there, so look for our beer reviews. Uh, the podcast, uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. Uh, like us, share us, review us through there. Um, and then returning listeners, and if you are a new listener, uh, we are partnered with uh, Predicted, which is a real money uh, political prediction market where you can uh, buy and sell shares in future political events, pretty much a stock market for politics. Um, what's great for our listeners, uh, if you open up uh, an account with Predicted, uh, Predicted will match uh, $20 on your first deposit. So if you have a $20 account, uh, Predicted will give you another $20 uh, to use. So 40 total dollars to use on Predicted. That was rambling and not my usual thing, and I lost track of my, my inner monologue for a second. That's good. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's really fun. Uh, they have different markets for different events that are going on. The Virginia the governor's Virginia thing. How we'll far down that. the line they'll have to go to find someone who wasn't in blackface. Um, <laughs> I'm taking some bets on that oh, one. Boy. Uh, yeah, it's really fun. Definitely check it out. Uh, and, and it changes in real time. So as people, you know, uh, um, opinion shift, you'll see the, the price of uh, a share go up and down. And you can sell whenever you want or buy whenever you want. And it's a lot of fun. The key is find out what Phil Barker is buying and selling and then do the opposite mm -hmm. and you're probably going to make some cash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. George Costanza it. <laughs> yes. um, just use our uh, promo link, predicted.org slash promo slash Barstoolpaul20 and get your free money. Thank you, Predicted. Good stuff. Yes. State of the Union. It was so much fun. <laughs> and by fun, I mean not informational at all. So definitely a lot of fun. Dive in. Let's so, break it down. Yeah. yeah. So last night, after much drama, Trump finally delivered his State of the Union speech. The speech itself was full of patriotic language, and the tone veered from conciliatory to combative. Trump spent much of the early part of this speech making the case for his wall, yet he didn't give any hint as to whether he would declare a national emergency to get it. 
Trump also cautioned newly empowered Democrats in the House to avoid seeking revenge against him through partisan investigations. The line of the speech had to be, quote, if there's going to be peace and legislation, there cannot be war and investigation. Can't have both. You guys can't do it. <laughs> Argument's which, over. It's done. <laughs> which confused everybody in the hall. Never, whatever. Uh, to help shore up his Republican base, he invoked two bread and butter issues for conservatives. The fight against abortion and socialism. Specifically, Trump noted, quote, here in the United States, we are alarmed by new calls to adopt socialism in our country. American was founded on liberty and independence and not government coercion, domination and control. To which the audience broke out into the chants of USA, USA. <laughs> God, that's great. <laughs> that was a low point. Uh, Trump also touted his second upcoming summit with the North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un, but made no mention of Russia. Finally, the power shift in the House was visually on display as Nancy Pelosi and scores of House Democratic women wore white, the color of the suffrage movement, reflecting the fact that 131 women were sworn into the new Congress, the most in American history. Let's dive in, Phil. What did you think of the speech? <laughs> I loved it. No, as, <laughs> as I texted the two of you earlier, I did not watch this. Um, <laughs> it's not my... So I, but we can start with that, I guess. I, my my lack of desire to watch this has nothing to do with Trump. I just the State of the Union is just stupid. <laughs> it's strong. It's strong. It's strong. <laughs> so I, yeah, I mean, this is, um, you know, I had a conversation with a colleague this week about uh, this is a, it seems like an antiquated thing, the idea of the president going and doing this. I, I feel like at some point, fifty years ago going on national TV for a president to lay out their agenda had some impact on the likelihood of their agenda actually being uh, passed or, you know, it was it was actually a, an important, useful thing to do. But now in the days of 24 hour news, the Twitter, all the other stuff, um, it's just turned into this kind of theatrical thing in which. You know, you have all these people who are brought in for props and 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 all of that. So, I I did not I didn't watch it. I don't. It was just not. Um, I I my favorite part. I, I said, having said all that, I've you know I've read about it and I've watched highlights and stuff. Um, I identify with is his name Joshua Trump, the kid. So the kid. The kid who got bullied for being named Trump, and so Trump brought him. You know that that's great, but I don't know if you saw the pictures of him totally crashed, like <laughs> yes. asleep during the the State of the Union. That was me. That yeah, was head me. head back. Yeah. yeah, Nick. Now you enjoy the the theatrics of a good State of the Union. I do. Yeah. It's so much fun. This. Oh God. You can talk about the substance of it all you want, and believe me, we'll talk about that. But I just the speech itself. There was nothing really to it that was unexpected. What was unexpected is how much he got the Democrats to at least uh, appear to have to support what he was talking about. Sure. He specifically talked about the record number of women that are in Congress now. So the entire time they weren't cheering, they weren't smiling, they didn't do anything. They had to look at each other and figure out if they were going to stand up and all they all stand up and they start clapping and everything's good then chance of USA on both sides of the chamber. You guys aren't supposed to do that. Uh, yeah, everybody laughs. It was hilarious. And I have to give him and, or at the very least, his speechwriter credit to just kind of stick that knife in a little bit uh, more clandestinely than, than they normally do. Um, I, I do think that there was a slightly... He, he kind of rode the fence on a more conciliatory tone where 
you know, we need to be unified, you know, and and support American citizens and uh, the American economy and make things better for for us. That obviously transitioned into migrant caravans and MS-13 and late-term abortion and socialism and all these things. And he doubled down on things that he needed to um, um, support his base with, which I, the fact that he was able to do both of those things was, in my opinion, a lot more nuanced than what we've seen previously. Um, again, like you said, Phil, not a lot of substance to any of it. There's no idea about you know asking congress for a, a specific bill or funding for a specific program or anything like that it's just this is what i'm thinking about and i'm gonna you know take some jabs here and there and here's some guy from world war ii and we're gonna sing happy birthday and then call it a night that was weird too. yeah yeah so uh, yeah it's other than the theatrics that's about the only thing i enjoy so it was fun to watch nancy pelosi behind him and trump and those two play off each other the you know the clap that she had and her look and her telling the democrats to calm down or get up or whatever that's interesting i, I still like when the when the president walks in the hall and they say mr speaker the president i i enjoy that pomp and circumstance it's tough to get through that whole speech, though, right? It's this, just, one, this one was long. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, and my students even today, for many, some of my students, this is the first time they're really paying attention to the State of the Union. And a number of them ask, like, what's with all this clapping? You know, <laughs> you, you, you can't get through a speech. It's, it's you know, it's complicated. It's, it breaks it up. It's true. I mean, it is really, it, it is so partisan in nature in terms of that process. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing's new. I think to your point, Phil, in, in the olden days, when you didn't have an opportunity to see the president a lot, this may have been new. Now it's not. All the ideas, there's nothing he said in the speech that was a new initiative. All you can focus on is kind of those dynamics and the, the style of the speech writing, which, was, you're, you're right, was crafted to force the Democrats to stand up at certain points. Mm -hmm. I mean, the stuff on socialism. It's ludicrous, right? I mean, nobody's talking about becoming socialist, really. Um, and he forced the Democrats to stand up and, and clap because they didn't think socialism was good. And then chants of USA. And Phil, Phil, do you remember anybody ever chanting USA at a State of the Union speech before? I mean, that felt it, new to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they it have... happens at the end of every one of my lectures. But... Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's... it's. I mean, this is where, again, I it, it's... I, maybe this is nostalgia in some sense, but it does seem like all that pomp and circumstance you talked about. There was a formality about this that has seemed to has it has eroded, right? I mean, this and this is not tr Trump, right? It goes back to you know a few years ago when people are yelling, calling Joe Obama, Wilson, right? yelling uh, about Obama being a liar, yeah. and you know it's it's just it's become like you said, Nick. It's become a campaign event more than some sort of national. Uh, a significant event for the nation. Yeah, because it doesn't. Do you think any anybody was does it move the needle one way or the other? I mean, that, no, no, no. It's not helping well, Trump at all. No. So, but I, do you mm. think it could have? I, so this is where I kept coming around to from you know the reading about it and going back and looking at highlights and what I, the speech was not the speech of a person who just lost control of the house, right? The 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 previous I saw one article today talking about each of the last three presidents. Um, the each of the last yeah so clinton obama and bush each lost control of the house at some point and their state of the union speech dealt with that in some way and made sort of more conciliatory or you know the, the idea of bipartisanship is important in that moment because if you want your agenda to pass you have to reach out to the other side um he made those overtures at the beginning but nothing in his like policy approach 
was that at all. So he, he talked about bipartisanship, but then the stuff he talked about after that was total red meat for the base, which mm-hmm. seems I, I, I sort of wonder if he could have done something. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities where Trump could have achieved uh, you know, could have done something to push his agenda along a little further or to bring people together. But I, it's not really in him to do that. But uh, he he certainly could have been more effective by taking a slightly different approach with this speech. It, it seems tone deaf to aim at the base in this moment. He doesn't need the base, whether he's talking about uh, getting legislation passed or getting reelected. Right. We're we're in the heart of the 2020 election. As crazy as that is. I mean, it's dumb that that's the case, but it is. Yeah. Um, and and firing up the base is good, but he needs more than that. I I, uh, I mean, like you said, or, or, uh, I think it was you, Bill. Is that this realistically, regardless, I think wouldn't have moved the needle one way or another. So I, I think you can be conciliatory in in some instances, but so much of the opposition was built around opposition to him, not necessarily to. Uh, broader Republican ideals, and to some extent, I guess you can say that, but so much of it was based around him and what he's done to the country and what the, that kind of rhetoric has has kind of fueled. Um, I, I don't necessarily think it, it would have been beneficial to him to, you know, for lack of a better term, to, to kowtow more than he already did. Um, and I do think that with the the shutdown, he did need to solidify his his um, support of his base slightly. But he went to an extent where we've solidified the base. Now I'm going to throw some other things at you. You're not a communist, right? All right. Well, that's good. Pro-life. You don't like to yeah. rip babies out of <laughs> yes. mother uh, their mother's womb like right before they're about to give birth. No, I don't like that either. I'm I'm right there with you there, it's Donnie. Down. Yeah. So I I I I I don't know if he cares about legislation other than the wall. Like the only thing I thought he was there was an opportunity to try to sway the public with what was the wall conversation, which was, what, 15 minutes of the speech. Mm. And that was still very much, I'm going to scare you, drug dealers running across the border, MS-16, you know, all of that. 13. Yeah, that's right. That's right. 13. I'm sorry. (laughs) This is a new one, right? (laughs) A more dangerous gang. Uh, And I I wonder whether if the Democrats aren't going to move on the wall. So he had an opportunity to try to maybe shift a little bit for border security, but he, he's not going to do that. He's he's going to declare a national emergency, right? I mean, there's that, that's got to be his only out with what? with the wall. That seem, I mean, this seems like an example of where uh, having experienced uh, people who have more experience in the political world surrounding him would be beneficial to him because this what this felt like it was a Stephen Miller speech. Yes. But it's like Stephen Miller or other people thought, hey, we need to reach out and talk about bipartisanship. So they talked about bipartisanship and then and then did the Stephen Miller speech. It wasn't right. like an actual change in in the tone or the idea of, hey, we want the border wall, but we recognize, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to combine it with that. And let's find a way to all come together on this. It was bipartisanship is important. Now, let me tell you about how Mexicans are going to kill us all. And so (laughs) that was certain Mexicans. (laughs) Exactly. The the weird part, the only part of the speech that I felt flowed really well was about the last two minutes, 
when he started going to this more high-minded uh, description, and it was really good, and he delivered it really well. I thought, you know, that's what you start with. You begin with that flowery language, because most people are probably only paying attention for the first couple minutes, and then they flip on Family Feud or whatever it is, um, and that would have been a good way to start. People still watch it, Nick. I think so. Uh, <laughs> instead of waiting to the end, when it was this weird, almost yeah. jarring, and I will say the, the transitions in the speech were very jarring. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would go from one topic to the next, uh, and it, it didn't feel like whoever was writing the speech was thinking about the, the continuity between topics. Uh, somebody on Twitter said that Stephen Miller skipped school the day that they talked about transitions. <laughs> transitions yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't think Trump cares about getting things other than the wall at this point. I don't think he cares about middle ground with the Democrats. I don't even think he cares about a legislative agenda. He's going to appeal no. to the base. He's going to campaign. His only goal in the second part of his administration is getting a wall one way or the other and getting reelected. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's where he's, he's at, mm-hmm. uh, which makes it easier to give a speech because then you can just, you know, throw red meat to the base well i I mean realistically and i I heard a lot of people say this over the past day or so um he never claimed to be the the president for everyone he claimed to be the the president and and the leader of the people who support these ideals Mm -hmm. who he thinks of as real red-blooded americans so I, i again i don't think like you said he has no interest in trying to you know, bridge the gap that is currently between the two sides of the spectrum. Um, and, and I don't think it would be politically expedient for him to do so at this point. He, he has a good portion of the population now um, well within his base. And I, as much as you think that everything else is out of fear, I think that some of the, the topics that he, he broaches that that resonates with people if you want to talk about you know socialism and government interference and you know the potential to bring down the economy again and illegal immigration also bringing down the economy those are those are very powerful things and it might sound trite and simplistic and one-dimensional but you know if you want a repeat of 2016 keep ignoring those things and he'll uh, we'll, we'll be happy to do it again i guess yeah no you're right he, he doesn't see it as a, a middle of the road strategy I, I think you're right i think that's where i think he underestimates the importance of those moderate voters though in this situation because the, the base is incredibly important to him but in 2016 he had the base and he had a whole bunch of moderate republicans who didn't want hillary clinton to be president there was a poll that came out this week that showed uh, i don't know if you saw this that uh fif- something like 55 percent of voters have said that they would absolutely not vote for donald trump again for president which is trust polls that's right <laughs> <laughs> yeah but those numbers are not good it's not good i mean that's where he you've got to that's that i mean that's for i forget what it was for obama so the number for like people who would absolutely vote for him um was similar to like obama but the absolutely would not you know obama at 30 percent of people said they absolutely wouldn't vote for obama when you're at 55 percent, that's that's bad and that's where you've got to reach that's where he could have stuck to conservative these the sort of base like issues but done them in a slightly less extreme way in a way that starts to try to pull some of those moderate, some of the people who have misgivings about him back into the fold. And I, I just, I think a lot of that is just a, a, a lack of 
political um you know acumen this is not what he he's he's not great at this he's yeah. great at, at rally speeches right he's not great at the sort of larger scale strategic political thinking and he can turn this into a bit of a rally but not completely right the state of the union is still the state of the union it's still got to be long it's still going to be relatively boring he's getting close yeah he's getting a little little <laughs> he's getting close the chance gym in a there. high school thing but i remember at the end of obama's tenure i mean these speeches were tough to get through with obama as well right for They're sure never yeah. good it's it's a laundry list of things uh yeah i it's in the Constitution where you got to do it every once in a while, but this is, I would like to see shorter. 20 minutes. I, so I, 20 this is a great, you know, I was talking, the, the, my, the colleague I was talking to about this, we were talking about the idea of, it would be great if the president could submit in writing this laundry list of things that they want to work on and then come and give a shorter, focused speech on, like, here is the main thing. Here's the, the agenda item that I am pushing. That would be great and yeah. effective, and it would be nice to see that, but... Not gonna can we talk? Can we talk about the if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit line? Wait, <laughs> the, what? What? <laughs> whatever it was. If you want peace and oh yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. So here I'll read it to you. Wow, did I miss that one? Can't have right. war. If, 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 if there's going to be peace, can't have war and investigation. Yes, if there's going to be war, peace and legislation, there cannot be war and investigation. Which, you know, it, you just you can't say that smoothly. Uh, that was a threat to the Democrats, right? To say no partisan investigations. Yeah, I mean, so it's it is. I'm I'm sort of torn on how to exactly interpret this. I, it, to me, it, it it comes across more as a clumsy like, "Hey guys, you you got to lay off, right? Like <laughs> investigations bad. We don't want to risk the uh, the um, the economy of the country. We don't want to risk all these other things based getting bogged down in these investigations." But there are a lot of people who interpreted it like you as sort of a mob. You know, the mob boss saying, "Look." It would it would be terrible to see these bad <laughs> right. things happen to you, right? Um, but I, I think the more important, the more interesting thing to me is that this even came up, right? That the president is in a state of the union saying, right, hey guys, you shouldn't investigate me. That's that's bad. Like, can't we all just get along, Nick? You know, Ixnay with the investigations. Um, that I mean, that alone seems that he's at that point of having to say that seems not great for him. Well, he's there's a few investigations of him going sure. on, right? Yes, right. Yes. Nick, should he be worried about? I mean, is, is this a good way to communicate to the masses? I, I mean, I honestly got. I thought it would have been a, a significant portion of the speech, and I thought he had put frivolous investigations in there, but maybe I was wrong. No, it doesn't rhyme. Then did no. you see it as a threat, Nick? Um, I didn't necessarily see it as a threat. It, it, it. I think it was. I think it was more of a, a, a rebuke pointed at them and focused on on the base again. Um, I think there's in a, you know we we've already talked about his focus on on the base and their needs, and I think a significant portion of that base thinks that the Mueller investigation, regardless of its original intention, has gone way beyond scope at this point and is looking for an excuse to uh, find fault with the uh, the administration and now his uh, his campaign committee um, so I, I I don't know if it's a threat I think it was a again a, a more nuanced way to say that the reason that nothing is getting done right now is because you're focusing so much on things that aren't there Um which again may be completely diverting attention to the truth of the situation, but put that doubt out there and again play to the base and 
jab that knife in a little bit deeper to the other side. But there's an important distinction to be made. The Mueller investigation is something that's coming through the ju- his own Justice Department. This isn't a partisan effort. This is Republicans investigating a Republican. No one believes yes, that, is, Nick, Bill. <laughs> Are you out of your... <laughs> the Democrats haven't really even begun. In, I mean, they've, they've started a few investigations, but it's not as if we've got this wave of Benghazi-type investigations. Mm-hmm. And, and so maybe that's what he's the signal he's sending. Um, it's weird. The language is terrible, right? There can be no peace in legislation. Uh, there, there's, if there's going to be peace in legislation, there cannot be war. I mean, it doesn't make sense, Nick. It doesn't. I think so. <laughs> well, okay. It, is, it, is it national? Is he referring to actual war and peace? Legis- is, is so- I think he's talking about internal legislative warfare, like they're doing right now. Yeah, it's still, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. It's weird. <laughs> I don't get it. But, but then do you want peace in that situation? Right, like, right. I, it's not, the goal isn't that everyone's peaceful. And... If you have peace, then we can get legislation through. <laughs> if we have war, we can't do it. And then if we have investigations on top of it, that's a whole nother plate of spaghetti that's just going to get thrown <laughs> on the floor. I bet, I bet the only line he wrote in this whole speech was that one, because he wanted it to rhyme, right? He's like, legislation and investigation rhyme. Make it work. Make something work. You know? <laughs> and then war and peace throw it in. Right. It feels very Nixonian to me. Like uh, mm-hmm. Somebody was, uh, was pointing out that Nixon's, uh, in his State of the Union, eight months before he resigned or whatever, had a line about that we've had enough of this Watergate and a year of Watergate's enough or whatever. Um, and, and that I, I don't know. It's just the parallel seemed to line up again, right? He's shoring up the base, which is great. And and Nixon to the pretty pretty close of, to the end had the base behind him, right? Republicans were behind him until it all fell apart, and it just it feels. I don't know. It just feels like we're watching kind of a repeat of that in some ways. Mm-hmm. The parallels are striking. Nixon had some fantastic speeches, though, at some point. Not necessarily State of the Unions, but yeah. he had, especially in regards to Vietnam, he could write a speech, and he had He's good a... speech writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was a smart guy. Yeah, yeah no, I have just... not seen one of those from this administration. No, no, not yet. So. No, Stephen Miller is not a good speech writer. It's just, yeah, it's not. I mean, Obama Obama was a good writer. Clinton was a good writer. George Bush had some wonderful speech writers. Sure. Uh, yeah. But... But Trump, not so much. It's very mm-hmm. kind of utilitarian and just, yeah, you stumble through it. Yeah. All right. Should uh, we uh, move to beers? Yeah. USA. Yeah. All right. All right. No socialism. <laughs> what are you drinking today? Uh, I'm drinking um, a beer from uh, Horace. You're drinking a horse? In, I, <laughs> yes. H O R U S. Horace. Horace. Uh, which I thought was out of California, but it says right here yeah, that it was brewed in. Wisconsin, Wanakee, Wanakee. That oh, that's a place. Yeah, yeah. Heck, it's a good beer there. Yeah. So this is uh, Osprey's Fresh Catch. It's a triple hopped India Pale Ale with coconut. Ooh. So they describe it as having all this, you know, bright aromas. What did I say? Mango, passion fruit, pineapple, a hint of pine. I'm not sure I'm getting the pine. Mm. Uh, and then coconut. I can get that little touch of coconut in there. The first like sip or smell had that like touch of like sunscreen <laughs> which I was like I don't know how that's going to go uh, but then it's so subtle that it sort of disappears um, it's it, it's it's really nice it's a it's um, yeah it's a it's a nice IPA that's good so Nick and I are enjoying a peanut butter chocolate milk stout from Four Hands Brewing which is out of St. Louis uh, Missouri now Nick informed me he doesn't like peanut butter but um, what would you think of the beer I'm deathly allergic I'm actually my face <laughs> is three times the size it normally is right now um, it's it's interesting. So you kind of get that, the kind of uh, sweetness 
uh, and peanuttiness uh, yeah. at the beginning. I feel like the the aftertaste was uh, the the bitterness of it kind of overpowered that. Um, it wasn't bad. It's not super heavy either. The yeah. beer itself is pretty pretty dark, fairly dark brown. Not a lot of head on it. Um, yeah, it was an interesting mix of things. Um, yeah, I'm not a peanut guy, so that really doesn't do anything for me. But I don't know. I'll give it like a 3.5. Yeah, I, actually, I thought it was, uh, you know, I, I wasn't sure what to make of this beer, but I kind of enjoyed it. I thought the peanut butter be, would be too much, but it was creamy, but not overpowering. I would want to drink one, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I enjoyed it. I've been hesitant, because you see these at the store, the peanut butter chocolate milk stouts. Um, I actually kind of liked it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It was a, a nice change of pace. Yes, not so uh, suntan lotion-y. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'd take suntan ones. lotion over peanut butter chocolate milk <laughs> well, beer. Right, well, you bring that next time, and we'll see <laughs> right. how that goes. And I'm sure this was a low-calorie beer, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, if you guys want to check out the beers that we try on the podcast, uh, download Untapped on iOS or Android. Uh, we're Barstool Politics on there. Um, so you can check out the reviews for all the beers that we have. And we'll make sure to do it uh more regularly we got chastised for that last one behind we gotta be better yeah (laughs) (laughs) we will we will do that more regularly all right speed round Mm -hmm. let's start in virginia uh we're a photo of an individual in blackface and another person dressed as a ku klux klan member was found on the medical school yearbook uh yearbook page of governor ralph northam yes oh medical school right Uh, yeah just mm. oh northam initially came out and apologized for the photo but then a day later recanted and said he wasn't sure it was him in the photo on his own page of the oh god it's terrible the yearbook page uh then things got weirder when the process of issuing his denial northam said he did however remember another moment in his youth when he did darken his face as part of a michael jackson costume so i didn't i didn't do blackface for my you know my medical page but i did but by the way time. yes yeah full transparency right, right. so he that wasn't me in blackface <laughs> exactly because I remember when I did blackface and it was at a different moment. (laughs) So when he was doing all of this, he was explaining that he actually won a contest because he knew how to moonwalk. He was inevitably asked by reporters if he could still moonwalk. Northam didn't answer right away, but instead appeared to look to see if there was enough space to show off his skills. If you haven't seen this, you have to go watch it. At which point his wife jumped in and told him, inappropriate circumstances. (laughs) Which was my favorite part of all of it. That this knucklehead is in this awful situation to explain his blackface. And he says, well, I didn't do it this time, but I did it another time. I can really moonwalk. And then, well, should I moonwalk right? I mean, he's an idiot. He is an idiot. All right. Phil, this is such a bizarre story, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And we could talk about the attorney general and the lieutenant governor, all of it. Um, Democrats have come out in mass and demanded that he step down, yet Northam has not resigned. What are we to make of this, Phil? Uh... I mean, he should he should step down, okay, right? He yes. should resign. Next topic. Uh, I mean, that, it's it's kind of amazing that in a period of a week, essentially, the top three officials in in Virginia politics all have scandals that have come out against them. So, Lieutenant Governor has sexual harassment allegations, um, and then just today, the Attorney General came out and like in this weird confessional admitted that he also had done he had. In some, at some point in his past, had had dressed up in in blackface what, what as well. Is, what is wrong with Virginia right now? I mean, this I is... don't know. You should just put it into receivership. Like let uh, Maryland <laughs> right. should run Virginia for a while for or something. something until they get this figured out. <laughs> 
we well, need a committee. Say, I mean, these are the Democrats, right? And this mm-hmm. is a, this is the also this is the state though that for in the Republican Senate race had uh, why can't I think of his name? What's his what's his name? Oh yeah, uh, oh. the 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 former like <laughs> alt right like uh, yes. God, I can't I think of it? Anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, you, this is like both sides. You have this this weird racism uh, coming out. He, I mean, he should he should he should step down, right? This is like we. This is to, in my mind like. I, I do I I believe in like second chances and people have a right to learn from their mistakes and, and all of that. Um, he's not showing a whole lot of of uh, you know learning from his mistakes, right? He's coming oh. out and talking about it was me, but it's not me, and I shouldn't step down because I I I didn't do it, and you know there's but not you a whole lot. Should see of... me moonwalk, man. This will make it all all better. <laughs> Right. But it's also one of those, like, you know, I, I go back to the Supreme Court nomination stuff where we, mm-hmm. we talked about like this is you have someone who has this bad this this whatever era in their past. And, and the argument that I made then was this is not a job that they are entitled to. There are a lot of people who could do this job. So why not find someone who can do this job who doesn't have this past? And so it seems like this the same, you know, if I can say that about Kavanaugh, I can say that here, like. Even if he has, uh, you know, if he really is remorseful, um, there are qualified, smart, liberal leaders who did not ever put on, you know, blackface in their life. And so let's, you know, find one of them. I, it's it's one of those where I, I think, uh, I don't know, I think there, there should be cons- there should be consistency in this. Yeah, it's not hard to find a good politician who hasn't thought blackface was. A, I mean, this is this is insane. Nick. It's insane. All right. So here's the thing about this whole thing. <laughs> So, realistically, uh, outside of his uh, his you know supposed apology and the way that he's handled himself, realistically, I don't think he should lose his job. I think he should he should be able to hang on to it. People change, people do good things, and from all accounts, he's done a lot of good things for his community and his party and the state. Here's the other side of this thing, and I hope you can hear the smile through this. You assholes brought this on yourselves. You set up a landmine, a, 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 a minefield around yourselves, and then realized that you put yourself in the middle of it with no way out. You're saying that nobody, regardless of what they've done previously, the innocuous nature of what they've done previously, anything that they do can now be dug up decades later, and there is no rebuttal to it. There's no apology that's good enough. There's no way to come back from it. <clears throat> which is absolutely ludicrous. And you're going to see more and more of this as time goes on, and I could not be happier about it. I am okay 100% with it, Nick, right? Especially, yeah. you know, it depends on the issue, but, but for blackface, no problem. If Democratic candidates continue to run who have a history of, of, of using blackface, they should be kicked out. I, I, I get what you're saying, that we've raised the standard, but that's a good thing, right? Especially when it comes to blackface. I I get that he's he's evolved and he can still make a difference. I don't think he should make a difference as a governor anymore. I think this should be a disqualifying uh, uh, decision, right? He did this. We can't come back to that. If only for the symbol it sends to others, right? That I, I get remorse and change, but for me, this is a deal breaker. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay raising the bar to say, you know what? If you want to be governor, no blackface in your history. I, I'm okay with that. But what's the line then? Like, if he had come out and and owned up to that, you know, it was me. It was a, a horrible thing that I've regretted my entire life. 
you know, I, I would hope that my my record speaks for itself. This is not who I am as a as as a, a person and a legislator. And I, I hope you can forgive me for this transgression. Would that have changed your mind? It would have instead been, of him trying to moonwalk out of a room. <laughs> it would have been it would have been much would have made much it way better. better, much yeah. better. And maybe there's a conversation. I don't. So it's not the act; it's their contriteness in the act it, that matters, right? Because because you think about whether he's evolved and and but I, I still think that yeah, this should be a standard. But but why is it that? Where is the line then at that point? It depends on the things, right? It depends on the, the racial insensitivity that you've demonstrated. I think there are certain things where you have to say in this, in our current politics, you can't have had done that. That's It's just too far. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you're a bad person, but you, you shouldn't be governor anymore. Or lieutenant governor. Or no, no, I guess it was lieutenant governor of sexual assault. Or attorney general. All of them. Can we talk about those two? Yeah. yeah. After, yeah, yeah no, Go I feel ahead, like and, and the context of this situation is not just uh, like, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, like outward, like very blatant displays of racism should be a cutoff. But even beyond that, it was a it was the picture is of, of a guy. He still hasn't said which one he is or a guy in blackface and a guy in a clan suit. <laughs> right. Like, it's not right. it's not like he was, you know, uh, again, even if you wanted to come up, it's it, it's just so over the over the line to me that it's yeah, I. I think um, it would have made a difference, right, if he had come out and said this. But also, it would have made a difference if he wouldn't have waited until this was like sprung on him, right? If sure. like yeah. throughout his political career, he had talked about how he had evolved. Like I was, I had, you know, you know, I I didn't understand, um, you know, I was I was insensitive towards racial mm. issues in my youth, and I've over the years evolved. That would have. You know that would have taken a lot of the steam out of this, and it would have made a, a claim that he had evolved and changed to, and learned more believable. But that's that's not what has what has no, happened. I'm just happy that the Democrats are continuing to eat themselves. So, well, I could I, not I, be I, happier I, about it. I, you were talking about how they like you know. I don't know, like you assholes, I assume means Democrats in general or no, not Democrats in general, but this this element of of the party and this kind of hyper progressive mindset where nothing is beyond reproach, I guess, at this point, but like nothing can be can be undone. I think the difference. I, so I, I my one like the, one the thing hypocrisy I to say of about it makes me crazy that is that. I don't know that they that that the Democratic Party or people within the, I don't know that they feel like they've boxed themselves in. Like I don't feel like they they think oh shit we've we've done this in the past. No, I don't think they have either. Down. I think they think this is like, well yeah, whoever it is should should be you know held accountable. I don't this, think so. that's the case though because the the stories about the most of the stories that I've seen haven't been that he should immediately step down. The first stories that I saw come out after this were. We should look at his record and see what he's done as a legislator more than anything. That's you know I will say like I don't I don't know how like the timing of it, but pretty quickly it was across the board. Democrats were rejecting him, and I, so I don't think it's hypocrisy because I think that I mean the, the reality is is Democrats are trying to be progressive on race, and I think it doesn't mean that Democrats can't be racist. Clearly, they can be. And we oh, see yes. an example of this. <laughs> right. But you hold them accountable. Uh, in a way that that's the difference. You know, the difference here is like there are times when Trump and other Republicans aren't aren't holding other Republicans and Trump in particular accountable in the same way. So mm-hmm. again, then this shouldn't be about Trump. It shouldn't be about whatism in this instance. Northam is the problem. Um, we should. You mentioned this, but it is it it is to some extent in that you you there was this glee from people like Trump supporters who were happy to see like you know that had this like you know. Uh, you've got to you've got to step down. Look, he's he's a racist, too. And and there is an element of hypocrisy to that. Right. Like if people had like been calling out Trump's racism 
and then also yes northam's racism but that, it's this weird like duality and and that's not a duality that it certainly there are individuals on the on the democratic side who who react that way but as a party in general they reacted consistently right that he should go yeah well, so I, the one quick thing we'll see. <laughs> you wanted to get on, Nick, was that so if the governor steps down for his blackface, if the lieutenant governor has to step down because of sexual assault charges, and then the attorney general, who's third in line, has to step down because of blackface. Who's fourth? The Speaker of the House, who's, who's a Republican. Republican. <laughs> so you have Democrat, yeah. Democrat, Democrat, Republican. So this is really going to yes. push Democrats on whether they are serious about race and sexual assault mattering. And yes. I hope I hope they, they do. One who's clinging to office... The one after that accused of sexual assault who of his accuser called her a fucking bitch yesterday, apparently. Uh, and then another one who was in blackface. I, yeah. I, you know what? If you go through all three of those people and get down to the fourth in line, I will have nothing to say on this particular situation. And I, I, I will respect you for those decisions. It's, uh, I, I, think, I you, think Democrats have to be consistent here. We've gone way over time yeah. on this, but this is you, a good topic. The question, I mean, at this point, the question is whether he steps down, right? right. So I, it's beyond like the party can continue to pressure him, right? But do you, what do you think? Do you think he he step? I, I he's gonna like I don't know how he holds out in this. I, I, my it's a great question. I, I think he so in in Virginia you can't be reelected, so it's not as if he has to worry about a reelection campaign. Right. I think he's gonna try to hold on and see whether Democrats continue to put pressure on him, and I hope they do. But in this political world we live in, a week from now there's going to be another issue, and it's possible he's going to survive. So my guess is he's going to try to hold on to this and hope some other news story steals the day. But, uh, yeah. Corey Stewart. That was the guy oh, just yeah, popped yeah, in my yeah, head. Yeah, the yeah, Republicans. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> All right, let's, let's jump international. Next topic. So on Friday, the U.S. announced it was withdrawing from the Intermediate Range Nuclear Force Treaty, known as the INF Treaty, following years of accusing Russia of cheating. The INF Treaty is a 1987 bilateral agreement prohibiting the United States and Russia from possessing, producing, or fly, test flying ground-launch-based ballistic, ballistic and cruise missiles with a range of 500 to 5,500 kilometers and their launchers. This is one of the last major nuclear arms control treaties with Russia, and the decision has the potential to incite a new arms race, not only with Russia, but also with China. The decision signaled the end of more than a half century of traditional nuclear nuclear arms control. Mr. Trump said later that, I hope we're able to get everybody in a big, beautiful room and do a new treaty that would be much better. God, this is a bad quote. Uh, <laughs> President Vladimir Putin of Russia responded by suspending his country's participation. He also said that Russia would build weapons previously banned under the treaty and would no longer initiate talks with the United States on any matters re related to nuclear arms control. Phil, you've built a nuclear shelter in your basement. What do you make Damn. of all this? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I sent you that, that story earlier yeah. today about how the U.S., Russia, and France all tested missiles in in the last 24, 48 hours or whatever. Something. Why France? Did they, they just want to get in on it? Attention. I mean, this is, I, I find this story fascinating, right? So, I, you know, I'm, I'm it's the, near the beginning of the semester, and so I'm teaching in my global class, global politics class, and my U.S. foreign policy class. We're kind of going over realism and liberalism. And, you know, part of the debate is about like, how useful are these treaties? And, and this sort of story 
provides like fodder to both sides, I think, because there, there are people who see these international agreements as useless, who point to the fact that we had this agreement and Russia was cheating, right? They weren't abiding by the agreement. And so what's the point of an agreement at all? But then you have the, this other side that sees real value that, that points out that Russia wasn't abiding by it. But the, the fact that the treaty exists allows us to call them out on that. It, it requires them to at least cheat to pretend that they're abiding by the treaty right and the fact that we withdrew and immediately russia announced they're expanding their testing and they've started doing all of this stuff um yeah i mean i i I think that's it's i think it's disconcerting right i think it's a it's it's further evidence of the extent to which the u.s is sort of stepping back from this international these international agreements and the belief that international uh the sort of liberal international order is useful um and i think that uh i i don't know i think that we will regret it. I, I, that doesn't mean that Russia, again, was was abiding by the treaty or was acting in good faith. But when you step back from it, you lose that ability to to critique, to say that Russia is not living up to their expectations. You make you put yourself on equal footing with Russia at this point. We are both now, you know, there's no obligation. And so Russia is not doing anything wrong before we could at least critique them and challenge them and, and get the international community behind that. I, it's, it's, it's disconcerting. And I think that it does have implications for, you know, the way China is going to view us and how we're going to feel about it. And, and it's interesting to see uh, the Republican party or, or people within the Republican party celebrating the end of this Reagan. I mean, there was Ronald Reagan yeah. who, who, who uh, pushed this treaty in, in an attempt to, you know, limit nuclear proliferation? So it's a big shift. Nick, you worried? <sighs> I, uh, it, it depends. Uh, in this particular situation, the fact that Russia, their immediate response was, "Yeah, we're going to start developing these weapons again," just suggests to me that they were already developing these weapons regardless and weren't abiding by the rules. We can critique and say that we're involving the international community all we want. Realistically, the Russians have run roughshod over, you know, Europe and, and you know, the, the uh, uh, Ukraine especially um, over the past several years, and we've done nothing about it. And this is apparently where we, you know, put a line in the sand. That doesn't seem right to me. In terms of China, we know they're stealing military technology from us on a daily basis. They have carbon copies of of fighters and bombers and most of our 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 current arsenal to so to suggest that they don't have this technology already or weren't working towards this technology seems completely ridiculous to me and I wouldn't even factor their feelings or 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 position towards us into this in in any way shape or form I think this is something that was due for a, an update and a, a, a renegotiation and a, re-under, a, a, a better understanding of where people stand now and how we're going to make this more effective. Having said that, mm-hmm. this probably isn't the administration to get us to the <laughs> right. point That's where point. That's a good point. You know, they'll create a treaty that is effective and useful for another you know, three or four decades. They're good at tearing things down. I mean, as you were talking, it made me think of the Iran nuclear accord. And, and Trump said, we'll try to negotiate a better deal. But they have no interest in that, right? They want to pull the deal apart and then keep the status quo. And the same mm-hmm. thing here. You want to, There's not going to be no effort to renegotiate this with Russia. I, I think about Syria. Like after the United States announced it was going to withdraw from Syria, Putin said, this is a great decision. Uh, after this decision, Russia starts announcing their development of weapons again. I mean, they, they clearly like these decisions. And if Russia is happy about a decision, it's probably not in the U.S. interest. 
well, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, go just one other thing I quickly add is that um, it's not. This is only one. I mean, there's been a number of treaties that the United States has unilaterally pulled out of. You can go back to the George W. Bush administration, and we pulled out of the uh, anti-ballistic missile treaty with Russia. So Russia, it looks at us as a partner that you can't always trust, right? You know, the United States is going to be the one that will pull out of an agreement, and that's that's no, not good for long-term stability. Mm-hmm. The other part of this that it seems a little weird to me is that there's there's something in it that it gets at human nature, which is that Russia's cheating, and so we're gonna we're gonna you know we're we're done if you're not gonna play by the rules. But I think if you step back, I, I am I am not a you know nuclear strategy expert or anything like that. But my understanding is that these sorts of missiles are not essential to the American. Like this is not what we have. You know, with ICBMs and submarine-based missiles, we don't need these intermediate-range missiles. It's not actually all that essential to our sort of worldview or our our security approach to the world. And so, um, to say Russia is not abiding by it, so we're we're done with the treaty. Um, is a way of like saying, you know, we're mad at you, Russia. But I don't know that it actually gets us any further. It's not that like we desperately wanted to develop these missiles, but this treaty was holding us back. We were largely okay without these missiles. And so leaving the treaty in place provides you with the opportunity to, even if Russia's not abiding by it, it's not like we're limited in a, in a real serious way by it. And so to leave it in place allows us to continue to critique them and to challenge them, even if they're not abiding by it. And and so that's why it's, it seems weirdly short-sighted to me that, that just because you're not abiding by it, we're done. Um, and now, okay, now we don't really care that we don't, we're not, our, our worldview isn't, isn't really changed or our approach isn't really changed. So, I mean, I guess on that point, we talk about the U.S. stepping back from there, this, this position of, of, of power that we've held for, you know, the past 50 years or 50, 60 years. Um, and especially since the end of the cold war, um, as we pull back from these treaties, there doesn't seem to be anyone that's filling the void. It's certainly not Russia or China in terms of democratic principles or human rights or anything like that. So when it comes, when we talk about the international community and our ability to rebuke these countries, like I I question the efficacy of critiquing because we have the support of members of the international community because they're not going to do anything. There are two large actors, on the, the two largest actors on the world stage at this point, other than us, who are not abiding by the rules. So if we critique, we're pretty much just talking into an echo chamber because no one can physically rebuke these two other actors. And from a legislative standpoint, it's not doing anything because they're not abiding by the rules anyways. So what what is... What is the better alternative at this point? You know, Phil, Nick has brought up, you remember that book in grad school, After Hegemony by Robert Cohane? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is Nick, you posed a great question. This was this, <laughs> so he was going to say, he, one of the questions he asked is, what happens after the global hegemon, the most powerful uh, country in the system, steps back from leadership? Will the system continue or will it fall apart? Uh, and I think we're seeing here that at least on, on these handful of instances, there's nobody else stepping up. So when the hegemon pulls back, it's not good for international order. Or I should say it's it creates change, and that mm-hmm. may or may not be good for international order. This feels a little, I mean, I, the, the, the interesting thing about this is that the, what feels like is happening under the Trump administration isn't that we're stepping back. It's not that uh, there is this role of international leader to, you know, to be filled, and we're not comfortable filling it, so we're going to step back some. It, it, it is, feels more like 
we're tearing it down, mm -hmm. right? That it's it, it's it's not that we're stepping back and leaving these institutions in place to kind of function on their own for someone else to step in or whatever. It's that as we step back, we're tearing them down as we go, which feels a, a, a little bit different. And I and I think that, um, I, I don't. I, I you're you're right, Nick, in that the you know China and Russia and all these other players are they don't really care. But I, I, I I think that there's a chance that we as Americans take for granted some of the people who do care, the Germanys and the Japans and the Frances of the world who do care about these institutions. Um, and, and you're right, they're not stepping up in the way the U.S. has in the past, but that doesn't mean that they don't care about, you know, Russia violating these treaties. Oh, and yeah. Whatnot. Well, I, I have no doubt that they care, but then you have to you have to put your ass on the line at some point, too. Uh, like, realistically, we can talk about the Trump administration and tearing down these institutions. Russia didn't inv invade Ukraine during the Trump administration, and nothing happened. So, yeah. and, and that was, that's a major, major political event that nobody did much of anything about. I, like, I, they've, Russia is, they, they know what they want to do. And they're, they're going to do it regardless of what administration is in power. Is this facilitating a, a, a faster transition into what they want to do? Possibly. You're helping them, right? You're helping Maybe. them dismantle. Maybe. Yeah. I, I, we really don't. We don't know. You know, it, it's yeah, OK. <laughs> but I, regardless, I, I, I don't know. Like, I know it sounds dumb. They're not playing by the rules. So fuck them. So let's try and do something that's different. And if, yeah. if realistically, if the international community, I have no doubt that nobody wants nuclear weapons, any prolifer proliferation of nuclear weapons. But if we're the only ones that are putting our asses on line or have the ability to yeah. put our asses on the line, then that's a problem. That's a that's, real problem. It's the burden of hegemony, right? But the, the, the difference is what you're saying is Russia's not playing by the rules. So no more rules. Or do we say you're not playing by the rules and, and we keep bringing that up so that they're their behavior is still constrained to some degree. You can bring it up, but then there have to be consequences. And they can't only come from us. But, they have to yeah. come from other members oh, of the international community. The power is but currency. That, that's, the, that's the challenge. I mean, I know, we're, again, we're way over time, but this is the difficulty. I, I don't disagree with you at all, Nick. But, um, I, the, I mean, there have been consequences. There have been financial and diplomatic consequences. There have been, you know, uh, um, economic um, sanctions against Russia for Ukraine, for instance. Um, but this is this is where it's it's hard to hard to figure out the line because right. it, on this podcast we've talked about you know the U.S. over involvement in Iraq and Afghanistan and so do we want to like is this enough for, is the invasion of Ukraine enough for war or like if we're not willing to go to war we don't think that we should be going that far then. You know that's that's the hard part to figure out. It's why I am glad I get to like analyze and critique, and I'm not the person right, who has decider. to decide how to respond to the Russian invasion of I Ukraine. I don't know if it's, I don't know. I mean, that should be a complete freezing of all foreign assets from uh, Russian foreign assets. That should be a complete dismantling of any you know energy pipelines or anything like that going into Europe. It should be complete isolation at that point, and we're not seeing that. I, like they're they're still cutting deals with Eastern Europe and parts of Western Europe and countries in the Middle East and and other parts of the world that don't give a shit what they do. It, yeah. I, it's it's messy, Nick. Yeah, I just, I'm so I'm tired. Well, now. good thing the president. I'm Go ahead. I'm glad we solved that. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Good thing the president has some extra executive time to think oh, about. I all need of more this, executive so. time. All right. So next topic this week, someone from the White House, we don't know who, leaked the internal schedule of President Trump. 
It detailed what the president is doing, or rather maybe what he is not doing. According to Axios, which received the leak of 51 daily schedules since the midterm election, Trump has spent about 60% of his scheduled time in executive time. The period during which the president is often in his residence, watches TV, tweets, talks on the phone, has impromptu meetings, and occasionally reads something. Trump's earliest Whatever, he doesn't read. <laughs> Trump's earliest scheduled briefings and meetings often start at 11 a.m. There are a couple interesting angles here. One is that someone from inside the administration sought to harm the president by leaking this story, and it's probably somebody from the very inner circles. The other is the unconventional schedule the president keeps. Phil, you're a big believer in executive time. What should we make of all this news? <laughs> <laughs> you don't teach a class before three in the afternoon, right? No, the, the idea of sixty percent of your time is executive time and not starting your day till eleven. I'm I'm really identifying with Trump on this. This is a <laughs> he's brilliant. I I can relate to this. Um, yeah, I mean, I so I, yes, it's. I think I'm not sh quite sure what to make of the leak of this. Someone is unhappy about this, yeah. right? Um, this is a bit like uh, in, in the past we've talked about. Um, some of the people that Trump surrounds himself with, you know, and, and whether you, you know, we, we talked about this with Mattis a little bit where Mattis sort of took control of, of defense policy in some ways and how um, in the the uh, the general principle of civilian control of the military, we don't really like that. But in this circumstance, we're OK with it. This feels a little bit like that, yeah. like the idea that the president is spending 60 percent of his time in leisure is uh <laughs> ridiculous right like that he's the 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 idea that that 24 hours in a day would be enough for the president to get done what they need to to be uh doing um is he just can't be done so the idea that he spends this much time doing nothing is is ridiculous having said that i'm not all that upset about it right <laughs> like if trump is letting uh, people around him do these these things and and drive legislation and and whatnot then then we, Whatever, but but yeah, I mean it's it just <laughs> it's bad. Nick. So apathy. Yes, yeah, so, right. I I don't know. It's just I, I I am curious who actually leaked it. I, I'm I've the more I think about who's left in the administration, the less likely I think that it's someone from the inner circle who actually leaked it. Um, what, uh, the point you just brought up, Phil, makes me a little bit worried. The fact that he does have this much executive time and there are other members of the administration who are left at this point that are making those decisions, something that we've talked about several times previously, that scares the shit out of me. Um, I don't know, dude, it's a tough job. I like a lot of executive time. Man, if I could golf like every day, that'd be awesome. Yeah, but you wouldn't You wouldn't run for president, though, either. <laughs> that's right. What, if I had 60% executive time, that's the only reason I would run for president. It's, it's going to make my platform? If it'll work, right. I'll, I'll be all over it. It does seem possible that a president could have executive time be effective, right? So, so maybe the president says, I can't be scheduled all day long. It's important that I have some flexibility to solve problems, to talk to people, to read, to think about things. Now, you know, the, the fact that that percentage of his schedule is executive time doesn't have to be bad if he's actually working. But if Trump is watching Fox News and tweeting about it, that's what's bad, right? But it's, that's work because he's seeing he's taking the pulse <laughs> right, of the American right. people. Yeah. So, so it, I don't think that having executive time is in and of itself bad. The way that Trump conducts himself in executive time is what's problematic. The leak is really interesting to me because I, I, right. I don't know, Nick. I do think this has got to be somebody 
somebody who's close, a manager, and it's probably not Stephen Miller or somebody like this, but somebody who knows Trump and is angry and frustrated. Um, this is probably as bad as the New York Times story. You know, the guy who's, whoever wrote the story said that I'm on the inside and we're trying to prevent him from, you know, ruining the country. This feels to me the, the, the equivalent. Rat. Yeah. It's if, another rat. Yeah. If if Kelly were still around as chief of staff, I would I would I would assume it was him, right? That this is a way yes. to push the president to do more. Um, with him gone and some of the other people gone, I don't I don't really know. Like Mulvaney doesn't seem like the type that really no. cares that much. I don't I don't know. I don't. It's hard to figure out who that would be. Well, that's an interesting point because another article, a bunch of stories this week about the fact that most of Trump's cabinet now are like interim. They're like they're temporary. They're not full time. They're not been approved by the Senate. He said he likes that because they're more flexible. So they don't have the the political power to press him on this, which is it just enables Trump Trump's worst impulses. Mm-hmm. So do you think it's it would be better if he took a more active role or not? No, no, I agree with Phil, right? <laughs> we want to keep him as far away as possible. But I also think your point is right. Given Trump's ignorance about most issues, who's around him matters. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the adults have all left the building should terrify all of us. Stephen Miller is writing the State of the Union speech. He's writing immigration policy. There's no... There's no permanent chief of staff. There's no permanent uh, defense secretary. I mean, th- these are huge roles. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, this, I, I'm scared. I'm scared. <laughs> the I'm the scared. idea that, I, I, I mean, I have to come back around to, as much as I don't like the Trump policy, the president of the United States should be at work prior to 11 a.m., right? Like, this is it's just the way it should be. Technically, like, when he gets up, he's at work. I mean, he's already there. That's true, right, <laughs> right. You just put your slippers on and walk next door, and you're there. <laughs> No, sorry, you were you were going, and I interrupted you. <laughs> no, that was it. I just it's it's when I step back from it and I take myself away from like I I don't like Trump's policies. Then I and I'm left with just this idea. It it just feels lazy. Like well, I it like is why it is if, lazy. You wanna, if you want to if you want to be president, like that's what's so weird about it is that most people prior to this have desperately wanted to be president, and it's just it's it's one more example of the way in which I don't think Trump wants to be president. He wants the the sort of the the uh, benefits that come from that he mm. wants the praise that comes from that but he has no interest in actually doing the work of president mm-hmm. and when you compare his schedule to previous presidents both Obama who was oftentimes reading reports you know at one two in the morning George W Bush was notorious for early morning meetings I mean he was up and running those briefings were at six seven a.m. I mean uh, Trump is he is a lazy president and that's that's just the reality. Um, all right. Do we want to do we want to do a rock and around, or we want to jump jump? What's our time like, Nick? Do we have time for two more? Yeah, we can do it if we stick to time. All right, we'll stick to time. All, All right. right. So, uh, President Trump plans to keep United States troops in Iraq to monitor and maintain pressure on neighboring Iran, committing to an American presence in the region's war zones, even as he moves to withdraw forces from Syria and Afghanistan. Trump said, "I want to be able to watch Iran." Uh, he said in an interview on CBS's Face the Nation, "We're going to keep watching." And we're going to keep seeing if there's trouble. If somebody's looking to do nuclear weapons or other things, we're going to know it before they do. Nick, how can they? How can how can Trump? Ah, oh, never mind. All right. Hey, well, I mean, if you watch, you're going to see at some point before so. they know they're doing it. Yeah, he's messing. That's with our how minds. good our intelligence agencies are. <laughs> he's, he uses the phrase "do." He's somebody yeah. doing nuclear weapons. Right. <laughs> that in and of itself is problematic. So. Trump's comments come as the United States has quietly begun negotiating with Iraq for weeks to allow perhaps hundreds of American commandos and support troops now operating in Syria to shift bases in Iraq to Iraq and strike the Islamic State from there. 
Yet Trump's comments could undercut the delicate negotiations in Iraq by angering Iraqis over the U.S.'s true intentions. Trump, uh, Phil, Trump remains fixed on Iran, yet this remark might not help his cause. What, what do we think of this, that we're moving troops to Iraq to watch Iran? I, I mean, this is this has got to be John Bolton, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I mean, maybe other people as well. But it, 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 there's no way that Donald Trump is the one who came up with this plan, right? <laughs> Someone told him about it. And that's why you get this jumble of words as a justification, right? Yeah. He doesn't understand why we're doing it. The idea that somehow being in Iraq means that we can watch what Iran is doing better <laughs> than we could otherwise is in and of itself insane, right? That just That's not how monitoring things work. It's, these it's, big binoculars out watching. Right. <laughs> right. With all the technology and satellite and all this other stuff available to us, we need to be nearby to know if they're doing do nuclear, nuclear weapons. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he just does. I, I just it, it strikes me as this is not his someone has told him what we're doing and he's trying to justify it. Having said all of that, uh, you know, we've talked about Iran and the proper approach and whether we should be harder on Iran or whether we should be, you know, uh, reaching out to Iran, regardless of which approach or which side of that question you're on. The idea that we're wanting to keep U.S. military troops nearby is is disconcerting mm-hmm. to me. Right. Like that. That's even the the in the realm of how we're thinking about dealing with Iran. That's what feels very Bolton like. Um and yeah, I mean, the idea, if you were Iraqi and, and you found out that America was going to keep troops in Iraq just so that they could keep an eye on Iran, you'd be like, what the hell? Like, I, I totally understand why the, why the Iraqi people would be not pleased with that. Right. Nick? I mean, it's it's interesting in a lot of the in the context of a lot of things that have happened recently. Um, I, I think it's if he if troops stay in Iraq and you move some of the troops from Afghanistan to Iraq that makes strategic sense to me in the sense that um, like we talked about previously uh, Iran is a realistically they're the destabilizing power in the region and I do think that there is um, uh, leverage and meaning and usefulness to have a military force there that can serve as a threat regardless of whether or not you're going to use them um, in terms of uh, the acquisition or production of nuclear weapons, we've no, we know they've done it previously, regardless of what they're doing right now. Um, I, I still think that's a threat, especially in the context of backing out of the, the INF Treaty and their relationship with Russia, who seems to have their hands in everything at this point. I think it still serves as a good buffer for Russian intentions in the region and, and um, a, a wider global sense and keeps the Iranians on their toes knowing that there is a a significant U.S. military force right next door That's that right. poses a threat. Whether it's an imagined threat or a perceived sure. threat or not, it's a threat nevertheless. And I do think that they, at least from a governmental perspective, um, in terms of the Iranian regime, do deserve to be threatened. I, I do wonder, yeah, it's an interesting point, because I wonder whether, what was the explanation that was given to Trump? Did they say, we can't tell him we're moving these troops to Iraq that they could go back into Syria? And so they said to him, well, uh, you know, we're going to watch Iran. And, you know, you know that Iran is a, a major issue for Trump. So he said, okay, that's great. We're going to watch Iran. And don't say it out loud. And then he says it out loud. I, I, I think we don't anticipate or appreciate the degree to which 
the Iraqis don't necessarily want the United States in Iraq anymore. So there were two groups uh, within the, the Iraqi legislature that are moving legislation to get the United States completely out of Iraq. Now, that's not likely to happen. Uh, but still, it's it's troubling, and it could pose a long-term problem for the United States for the reasons you suggested, Nick, that we want to have troops that can you know move across the region. So, yeah, this is it's an interesting development, and he probably shouldn't have said that. You know. <laughs> no, <laughs> among many other things. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I mean, it's... Uh, now I lost my train of thought. Realistically, the Iraqis haven't wanted us there since 2006 yeah. at this point. Um, maybe longer than that. Right. I, I, since it, 2003. Right, yes, yeah. Or the, Day or the three. sanctions regime or the first Iraq war. Right. We've, we've been there a while. Yeah, most people don't want us anywhere in that yeah. region. I, I I mean, I think this. I think they'll stay. I honestly think they will stay, and it will come down to economic incentives uh, for the Iraqi government, whether it's, you know, legitimate or helpful to its people or not. Um, I, I think they will be there for a very long time. Sure. And it is it certainly feels like John Bolton, John Bolton, who last week we were talking about threatening Venezuela with his notepad or two weeks ago. This week, he's, you know, sending signals to Iran yes. that we'll, we'll, we'll think about you as well. It feels very Bolton. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Our final topic. We're going to end on a fun one, boys. So. Washington is not a town for secrets, yet one secret which no one can crack is what is the source of Donald Trump's vibrant hue. Lots of carrots. Yes. Trump's sun-kissed glow is consistent, uh, pre present, and meticulous maintained, despite it being the middle of the gray winter. He's so tan, Nick. Sometimes orange. <laughs> the official line from the White House is that Mr. Trump's glow is the result of good genes. <laughs> <laughs> Yet some days he seems a bit more orange than others. So the question remains, does the president use a tanning bed, a spray tan booth, or apply an orange creamer? The New York Times reported this. entertainment tonight, music. <laughs> it's right? really, it's great. So the New, York, no, the New York Times, Nick, they were looking into it. And according to three people who have spent time in the White House residence, no such bed or spray tan booth exists in a hidden nook or of the residence, a cranny of the East Wing, or a closet on Air Force One. So how does he do it? And why does he do it? It makes me think of the long-standing dictators who always dye their hair black so you don't notice how long they've been in power. So I ask you, or gentlemen. John Travolta. That's true. What do you believe to be the source of Trump's beautiful color? And should we even be talking about Trump's beautiful color? Phil, go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't I mean, it's it's fun to pick on. I don't know that it... it, it I don't know if we should be picking. Yeah, I don't know that it matters, right? I mean, it matters in the extent to the extent that it reveals this kind of narcissistic tendency yeah. that, that that he has. But I mean, presidents have this, you know, these kind of quirks they always have, and so I think it's fun to pick on him because it's such a weird quirk, right? It's not. Yeah. It, it's it is like so many Trumpian things, not subtle in the least, right? Cool. It's not, you know, he's he still has the white eyes and the and yes. it's this orange color. It's just not it's not natural, and so uh, it's not like he's done. I don't know, it, you know, it's not like he has uh, tanning is a bit like the you know whether Obama smokes cigarettes or not. Who who cares like what yeah. he's doing? But but the the sort of over the top way and then the denial of it is the is 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 weird it's, it's I, weird and i think I about if it was anybody other than trump would we probably wouldn't feel comfortable with this conversation if it was it was a woman president of the united states and we were commenting on you know the makeup we, that, that would be inappropriate uh and in many ways this is trump's makeup right this is just how he looks good nick <laughs> well i mean you, 
<laughs> you said that picture. You said Bill sent a picture to us earlier this week where someone had gone through and and uh, photoshopped a picture of Trump so that his whole skin tone matched the skin tone. Right, the his skin eyes. of his hands. What if it looked like out his face? Right. And when I first looked at that picture, it was deeply disturbing because of how pale he was. But then I looked at it long enough, and that seemed normal. Like if I had always known him that way, that mm-hmm. would be normal. He's an old pale white guy. Yeah. And then you flip back to the picture of him now, and you realize how absurd the orange is. It's so over the top. I wish I could have seen you looking at that first picture of Trump. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it does bring up a good point. Realistically, if this was any other president, and certainly the last president, or if there was a woman president, we would never be having this discussion, right. which I, I don't know. I feel you can say he's a buffoon all you want, but it's such a it's such a low blow. And it, he is realistically he is the elected president of the United States. It's when it gets to this point, it just it just feels dirty mm-hmm. and wrong and just so again, like uh, entertainment news kind of thing. Like we're just constantly scraping the bottle uh, bottom of the barrel of things that we can dredge up about this guy and his personal life and just I don't know. I know he's a fucking weirdo and a scumbag, but he's he is the president, and I, I like I can't I can't rectify the yeah. two. It, it I, I don't feel good about it. No, I, I agree with you, and I was the one who brought the topic up, but I still I feel I feel conflicted as well. I go ba- I go back and forth because I like I. We do care about this with previous presidents, right? I mean, and and I think about Bill Clinton and his haircut, and I mean that was a financial thing, and that he cost a lot, it cost a lot of money for this um, haircut. But the, these sort of like vanity aspects of presidents, and you know, Kennedy's mistresses and whatnot, like we we care about the personal, and we have in the past complained about like, or, or I think it's been a reasonable complaint to say, look, they're they're there to do a job to govern all of this like celebrity aspect of it is is beside the point but if anybody has embraced the celebrity of the presidency it's trump it's how oh, yeah. he came to yeah. office and so it, it's a it's a weird thing like we we do fixate on presidents as celebrities and so this is the sort of thing that a celebrity we would talk about and so right. it's it's uh, you know i i'm it's one of those where in, in some ways it's dumb and in other ways it's it's i don't yeah i i so we didn't talk about how you think he does it right like i <laughs> yes. i don't believe the denials i wouldn't be shocked if there was a spray tan thing but he also seems like the type that just has some cream that rubs on like he, he's not doing the, the super uh but no the super eyes. fancy spray and well no but when when you see him right after he's been tanned those it almost looks like he yeah, has got the little goggle on. things sure. on. Right, you can't yeah. do that with cream i mean i don't know much about well, self-tanning you, could. you just put the you put the goggles on and then you rub the cream around <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to get the cream in your eyes bill it burns <laughs> he's not confident enough to not leave splotches or right something. right yes that's a good point yeah it yeah. would be yeah there would be a white spot here and a really dark like orange thing here he looked like he have a leprosy i don't think he can do it i would vote like, or he's got a team spray machine right i don't think it's a tanning booth um yeah, he, the, the man goes to his personal properties like every third day, right? Like he goes <laughs> to Mar-a-Lago or to <laughs> some right. house or whatever. They, and, and you know that in every one of his personal properties, he has some tanning booth or spray spray tan thing. That's for, what he's doing for executive time. For executive <laughs> time. <laughs> oh, that was fun. Oh, Thanks for entertaining God me. In <laughs> why, why do we do these? Things? I don't know. Um, can you sure. can you stall for me? Absolutely. So if you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us on Facebook and Twitter and uh, 
Oh, actually, we didn't mention this, but if you have questions for us, you know, to, uh, last week we did questions. It worked out really well. So please email us your questions. We'll keep track of them at Twitter, Facebook, or BarstoolPolitics at Yahoo.com. <laughs> oh, you, Nick. All oh, me. nice. You got the entertainment night tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the right one. Yeah. That's the 90s one. Yeah. <laughs> um. You just did all the Good social media stuff? Yes, yes. So uh, uh, all we have left is... Uh, so if you enjoy the beer, uh, rate and review the beer, and then... Uh, uh, untapped. Untapped, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, Barstool Politics. probably shouldn't rate the beers we drink. We'll no. We'll rate and review Oh, we'll them. rate. Okay, yeah, that's We don't right. care yeah. about your opinions. Rate your beers and <laughs> yes. follow us. Yeah, if you want to bring those to us, we'll rate them for you. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so... Predict it. Yeah, predict it. Um, predict it, uh, like we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Real Money Political Prediction Market... Uh, pretty much a stock market for politics where you can buy and sell shares in future political events. Barstool Politics listeners, if you open up a new account, you receive up to a $20 match uh, on your first deposit. So uh, open up a $20 account. Predicted will match that $20, giving you $40 to use on Predicted. Lots of fun. Definitely check it out. Uh, use our promo link, predicted.org slash promo slash barstoolpaul20. Did I miss anything else? That's good, Nick. Um, yeah, I might do the streaming thing later. I am fucking beat <laughs> if you guys are interested probably around 7 p.m central time um, Get some rest, Nick. i'm so tired i'm old and very tired <laughs> um anything else guys no we're good we have uh we have our senior legal analyst next um, week we'll correct? next week yeah absolutely super fun um all right we'll see you guys next week then cheers cheers <laughs>